Welcome to the weekly podcast of Valley Church. I pray that this message will fill you with the hope of the gospel and will help you follow Jesus today. If you would like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, visit valleychurchwv.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. All right. Um, So for several weeks now, we've been making our way through um, what many would call the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And so for weeks we've been hearing about what Jesus would have our lives to look like, what he would have our words to sound like, what he would have our interactions to look like with others. Um, And so I, for one, am very thankful for Pastor Jonathan and Precious um, for taking us through these um, very simple yet powerful words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Um, Let's pray. Father, um, guide us this morning through your word. Let our hearts and minds be open to the life-giving commands that you have given us. Let us see with fresh eyes the wonder and the wisdom of your ways. Holy Spirit, have your way with our hearts. Help us to set aside any distraction. And Lord, it's, it's only through your Holy Spirit that you can illuminate these words for us. So we ask, Lord, that you would do that for us this morning. Um, we love you. Amen. Okay, so first I'm just going to read through our scripture for today, which is Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 24. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness." If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So as I was reading through the scripture that I was asked to speak on, I did not get far before I realized what I really wanted to focus on this morning. Um, And that is just the first two words of this section of scripture. So if you can look at those with me, the first two words are, do not. So I want to take you back to elementary school, to grammar class, um, and we had four types of sentences. Does anybody remember the four types of sentences? Oh, I see some heads nodding over here. (laughs) Okay, so we have exclamatory sentences that end with an exclamation point and show emotion. Um, We have interrogative sentences. Those are questions, um, obviously end with a question mark. Um, We have declarative sentences. Those make a statement and they end with a period. And then lastly, we have imperatives. And those are commands and they typically end with a period. So Jesus used all types of these sentences and he used them well. Um, He used exclamatory sentences Um, And those were mostly directed to the Pharisees, (laughs) most part. Um, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrite, you blind Pharisee. Like, he was using an exclamatory sentence in those those cases. Um, Interrogatives. He asked really great questions. Um, 
The best that I could think of was what he asked Peter, who do you say that I am? He had some great questions. Declaratives, um, he made some great statements also. I think of the book of John with all of the I am statements. I am the resurrection and the life. That's my favorite. Um, Another declarative sentence that he made was when he was on the cross, it is finished. That's a declarative statement. Um, Lastly, imperatives. Jesus knew how to give a command. Um, Come, follow me. That's a command. Um, How about when his, his friend had been dead for four days? Lazarus, come out. Everything and everyone obeyed Jesus' commands. Even the wind and the waves obeyed him when he said, peace, be still. So out of all of the types of sentences that we have learned, commands are probably something that most of us as humans, we flinch at the most. Nobody likes to be told what to do, right? Um, Whether it's your mom telling you to get out of bed, whether it's your teacher telling you to turn around in your seat and stop talking, Lily, (laughs) or if it's your boss telling you to get back to work. Like, we just don't typically like to be told what to do. Um, So this brings me back to those first two words in this section, do not. So Jesus is giving us what? A command. So in general, what is the purpose of a command? A command is given to tell somebody what to do. And it's typically given from somebody with more authority than the person getting the command. Um, And so in this case, the creator of heaven and earth is giving his listeners of this sermon, which now includes us, a command. He's telling them to not do something. Throughout the Sermon on the Mount that we've been going through over the past couple months, the words do not actually appear more than 15 times, but there's way more commands that don't necessarily begin with do not. The Sermon on the Mount is full of them. And sometimes I think we tend to think of like the Old Testament as where all of our commands are, all of the regulations and things that God wants us to do, the Ten Commandments we think of. Um, But actually the New Testament is full of commands, literally like hundreds of commands given to us to follow. So, again, I'll ask, what's the purpose of all the commands? So I'm going to zoom out for a bit from this specific command. I'll get there later. Um, But I want to talk about the commands of God just in general. And so to do that, I want to take you back in redemptive history for a little bit. So in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is communicating to the people of God the commands that God gave him on Mount Sinai. And so the people of God had been in in, um, Egypt for hundreds of years, and they had been slaves there, and so God was calling them out. And so they needed to be told what to do and how to act because they had been in a culture that was had many gods, served many gods in Egypt. They had... um, been in a place where they didn't know really who God was or or what he expected of his followers. So that's why we get the love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Have no other gods before me. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. All of those things were to give the people of God guidelines so that they could please God and know how to act. So, but he knew that people would ask why all of the commands And so 
Luckily, he gave us the example or the answer as to why he gave us all of these commands. So here's your answer. And this is exciting because I'm giving you literally the best news, and it's at the very beginning of my sermon. Everybody's nice and awake and fresh. So we're going to go to the book of Deuteronomy, and that is the fifth book in your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So if you want to turn there with me, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to be reading verses 20 to 24. Deuteronomy 6, 20 to 24. So when your sons ask in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? So God knows our tendency to ask why. Why do you want me to do that? Then you shall say to your son, so first Moses is going to do what any good parent would do, and he gives a little bit of a history lesson um, first. We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out of there. So in that history lesson, he gives a short explanation of who God is and what he has done. That he might bring us into the land and give us this land that he swore to give to our fathers. Verse 24, and the Lord commanded us to do all of these statutes to fear the Lord our God. Here comes your answer. For our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. So did you catch it? What's the purpose of all these commands? It's for your good always, to preserve you alive. He's not just telling us what to do because he can. He's telling us what to do for our good always. Commands can be hard to take sometimes, and in response to commands, people are generally one of two things. You're either, you're either a rebel, or you um, are a people pleaser. So if you're a rebel, you generally aggravate everybody around you because you never do what you're told. And then as a people pleaser, you just aggravate yourself because you're like, when do I get to do what I want to do? I'm always doing what other people are telling me to do. Um, My husband, for the most part, (laughs) would be a rebel. I mean, he is the first to question authority and then pretty much flat out reject it. Um, I, I mean, I, on the other hand... I'm like, you want me to stand right here? Okay, for how long? You know, I'm just like, I will obey blindly sometimes. Um, Obviously, those are two ditches, and there has to be a middle ground here. And I think the way that we get to that middle ground is first we, you know, who's, we ask who's giving the command and can I trust that person? So that gives us a good way of kind of getting in the middle when we hear these commands. And so obviously for our command today, Jesus is giving this command and obviously we can trust him. So we can approach this command and all of the other hundreds that we find in the New Testament um, knowing that his commands are for our good always. And so we can feel free to like lean into these commands and, um, and know that he is giving us these because he loves us and he knows us and he wants what's best for us. And so we can find joy in following the commands of God. So not only are his commands um, for our good always and are literally life-giving, but there's another reason for his commands. 
as members of a new kingdom, we need to be told what to do. Um, when I was 17 years old, I was given an opportunity to travel abroad, and so I went with 15 other students at my high school um, and two teachers. I asked my mom, and she's like, sure, if your dad will pay for it. She didn't think he'd pay for it, but he said yes. <laughs> so I got to go. Um, and so we went through England, we went through France, Germany, Switzerland, and the Netherlands. Um, we had this great 10-day trip, and we had this amazing um, European travel guide. Her name was Miss Merriweather, and she was great. She helped us navigate all these different cultures, all these different languages, and whatever she commanded us to do, we would do. And it kept us safe and um, through all these different countries. And we had some pretty amazing experiences because of her, because she knew what we needed, and we were willing to follow those commands. Um, and so it's just like we are in the kingdom of God now. Um, in Luke 10, Jesus says that he came to seek and save the lost. That's us. We were the lost until he saved us. Um, Ephesians reminds us that we were once separated from God and without hope. So we were lost and hopeless. We need to be told what to do now that we are in the kingdom of God. Um, <clears throat> now that we are part of this heavenly kingdom, this heavenly kingdom doesn't operate in ways that we would naturally operate. Um, that's why Pastor Jonathan calls this series The Way, because we need to be taught the way. Um, just like, you know, the Israelites being brought out of slavery from Egypt and into a relationship with the one true God, they needed to know what it looked like to follow God. We, too, as Christians, have been saved from a life of slavery to sin, and we have been brought into the family of God, and so we need to be commanded to, to know what it looks like to love and honor God in the right way. So we can be thankful that the Word of God doesn't leave us in the dark. It tells us exactly what we need to do. So we can know his commands and his boundaries um, for our lives and know that they are for our good always. So we need to be commanded to love our neighbors because that just doesn't come naturally to us sometimes. We need to be commanded to pray for our enemies because that just doesn't come naturally to us. We need to be told that when we're giving that our right hand shouldn't know what our left hand is doing because our prideful hearts want other people to see what we're doing. Um, we need to be told to not be anxious, which I think will be next week, um, next week's service, but because we, we are prone to anxiety, we have to be told not to be anxious. And, you know, why all of the commands? Because Jesus knows that that hate that we would harbor, that anxiety, that pride that we would harbor in our hearts does great damage to us and to our relationships with others and to our witness of God to others. And so, you know, when we follow the commands of Jesus, he's inviting us to trust his ways and know that his ways are better than our own. So my encouragement for you today, as we continue through this series, is to hear the words of Jesus. And when you hear a command, don't have your typical or normal response to a command. You can lean into this and know that his commands are for your good always because he loves you and knows you. So, but then, you know, we also need to say, too, commands don't save us. 
They don't make us any more saved than we were the day that we accepted Jesus into our heart. Um, our command keeping, our obedience to him comes from a heart that loves and knows Jesus. Um, our salvation cannot and will not ever be earned. It was a free gift from God. And so our command keeping is just a right response to him. Um, and another thing that I want to mention about commands, um, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, the commands of Jesus, the commands of God that we see throughout the Bible um, have been used as weapons towards people. Um, they've been used to um, instill fear in you so that you would do what somebody wants you to do. They instill fear and keep you under the thumb of like a so-called leader. Um, and so unfortunately, sometimes commands can be twisted in a way that bind us in fear. And, and can I just tell you, that is not the purpose of the commands of God. So if you, you know, history's full of it, but I won't go down that rabbit hole. But if you grew up in a house or you grew up in a church where the commands of God were used as a weapon towards you to keep you um, under control and in fear so that you thought, if I step out of line, what's God going to do to me? That is not the purpose of his commands at all. So if, if talking about commands makes you feel really uncomfortable, talk to somebody about that. Let them guide you through his commands because they are for your good. They're not to put fear in you. Um, so what I'm going to talk about today specifically in this scripture is money. Ugh. So I, uh, what I was researching kind of like for this topic, um, I ran across a statistic that John Piper had in a book, although I think he was quoting somebody else, but he said that 15% of what Jesus talked about while he was here on earth concerned money, which is more than he talked about heaven and hell combined. So, you know, couple that with the fact that, you know, Jesus knows that money can have a ruinous effect on our hearts, um, but we can't get around it. We use it every single day. It's a part of our lives. Um, it's necessary. So he wants to give us guidelines to give us a good and healthy relationship with it so that we aren't ruled by it, but instead can use it to honor and glorify him um, the best that we can. So I'm definitely not up here to tell you what to do with your money. <laughs> I can guarantee you that. But I do know that God will be faithful to show you exactly what it looks like for you to honor him in that way. Because we're all in different places. We all have different um, needs in our lives. But God knows exactly where we are. And so I can guarantee you that whatever that looks like for you, it's for your good always. Um, okay, so are you ready to hear about more than just the first two words of this section? Thank you for letting me move on. So anyway, all right, let's go back to Matthew 6, 19. So do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So in this command here. Jesus is telling us what not to do, then he tells us what to do, and then he even gives us a short explanation of why he's telling us to do this. So I think for the most part, Jesus is just addressing our tendency to cling really tightly to the things that we have here on earth that in the end will decay. He's addressing our tendency to, to lay up treasures that seem so great to us in the here and now, but have no eternal value. 
So he's telling us not to, to focus all of our energy on storing up those things that are for the temporary, but to focus on those eternal things that will last forever. And so you, you know that he, he loves you and he knows what's best for you. And the best thing for us is to look more like him and less like the world. So he was the best example that we have of storing up treasure in heaven. So if anyone on earth should have storehouses of the most expensive treasures piled up all around them, it would be a king, right? And so here we have the king of heaven and earth, but he came to earth and he did not pile up all these treasures and have storehouses of all these incredible things. Nope. He came to earth to do the will of the Father and to seek and save the lost, to store up treasure in heaven. So his entire life literally was lived for eternal purposes. So Jesus is not commanding us here to do anything that he hasn't already done perfectly. So he came not to be served, but to serve. Um, in Hebrews 12, uh, verses 1 and 2, it tells us that we need to lay aside every weight. And I think that this would include all of those earthly treasures that bind us up in the here and now. Um, in the sin that clings to us and run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, so he was looking to those heavenly treasures, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus didn't store up those earthly treasures. He had his eye on the heavenly treasures that awaited him. And in Hebrews it says that we seek the city that is to come not the here and now. Okay, so I have a question for you. If you could create a pie chart of your typical day and separate your time into categories of storing up treasure on earth versus storing up treasure in heaven, what piece of the pie would be bigger in your pie chart? Would it be the time that you spend um, on those earthly treasures, those things that, have, that are just temporary and in the end will decay? Or the piece of the pie, would it be bigger that's working on those eternal treasures that will last forever? Um, and don't worry, I'm asking myself the same questions. Um, in this section, Jesus seems to be focusing on money. So for your finances, um, I'll go there, but only for a minute. Is 100% of what you bring in used for the here and now? the temporary. Um, I could say a million and one things about you and your money, and I could probably stick my foot in my mouth about a million and one times. So instead, I'm going to use the words of a former pastor who I love dearly, um, whose church I used to attend. And he said something, he was trying to encourage his congregation about tithing, and so giving 10%. And, um, and he said, God can help you with your 90%, he can help you with your 90% go further and be faithful to you in that once you've given that 10%, then you can be by yourself with that 100%. Does that make sense? So he can help you with your 90% and be faithful to you in that. He can help you do more with that than you could on your own with the full 100%. And so, you know, sometimes we cling to that 100% because maybe it's just not much and we have a lot of people to feed, and we have bills to pay. Um, but I would just invite you to, to trust the faithfulness of God. Remember, these commands are given, and it's, and it's an invitation for us to trust his ways above our own. 
And now we know that it's for our good always. And so when he's saying not to do something, let's try to listen and, and, and just trust his faithfulness because he's telling us this for our good. Um, in Hebrews 13.5, it says, To keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will, love, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So he's not going to leave you hanging with that money that you have left after you've given to um, his ministry. Um, he wants you to trust his provision for your life. And later in that same chapter, the writer of Hebrews charges us as believers to share what we have. Why? Because such a sacrifice is pleasing to God. So you might start with that 1% and change your, your pie chart little by little, knowing that all of our little bits, when they come together, can do great things for the kingdom of God, you know, here in the valley and beyond. Um, so let's think about that pie chart in terms of our time. So maybe our most precious commodity. Um, what percentage of your time during your waking hours do you spend storing up treasure on earth versus storing up treasure in heaven? So how are you glorifying God in how you spend your time? Your time spent in conversation with others, um, your time spent in worship or in prayer, um, in reading his word. How about your free time? What does your free time look like? Are you storing up treasure on earth? Or are you storing up treasure in heaven? So remember, this command is for your good always. So if you have a pie chart that's 100% storing up treasures on earth, then I would just challenge you to look at ways that you can change that percentage, even just a little. It's for your good always. And remember, a pie chart is just for our visualization because we know that we don't live specific like, this is my Christian time and this is my worldly time. No, I mean, Paul was clear when he said, do all for the glory of God. So we know that as, as followers of of Jesus, we have a new motivation, a new heart in us um, that seeks to always store up treasure in heaven in everything that we do. Um, so after he tells us um, what not to do and then what to do, he gives us some insight as to why this is so important. So look at verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So that's what he's after. He's after your heart. He's always after your heart. He cares about the state of your heart and where our allegiances lie. Our lives are short, and he cares about the state of our heart while we're here on earth, and then he also cares about our heart eternally. He cares about our good, and he cares that we flourish in our faith. Um, and he cares that we put our faith and trust and literally hand over our heart to him and knowing that he will provide in exactly the ways that we need. In so many ways, like I said, the, the Sermon on the Mount is an invitation to trust him and his ways above our own. In a parallel passage um, in Luke 12, Jesus tells us to provide ourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. So he's pointing us to a treasure that does not fail. It's a treasure in heaven that's inexhaustible and unfailing. He's pointing us to a treasure that is for our good always. And as parents, I mean, we kind of, we try to do that same thing with our children. We want to point them to making decisions that we know will be for their good always, um, to make decisions that will lead to less disappointment 
and less heartache. And that's what Jesus is doing for us here. He can see the heartache and the pain that inevitably comes when we place our trust in our earthly treasures. He's trying to save us from that heartache. So I'm sure we all have an item in our house that we worked so hard to get, and then it broke, or then it got stolen, or now it's left some, in some corner of our homes forgotten after all that hard work. It's heartbreakingly temporary, not so with treasures in heaven. So you will never regret the time that you spend storing up treasure in heaven. And, you know, Paul, he counted it all as loss for their surpassing... Um, the surpassing, what is it? Surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Um, all right, so let's move on. In Matthew 6, 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? So here, I think he's just continuing to talk about our focus and how our focus impacts the rest of our, light, or of our life. Light or darkness, good or bad. So lastly, let's look at verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. So again, Jesus has told us what not to do and what to do, and here again he's telling us why. He's concerned about the condition and the allegiance of our hearts. He knows our frame. He knows that our hearts are not capable of serving two masters. We just don't have that ability. He knows that our love and devotion will go to one, and we will hate and despise the other. And then he flat out tells us that we cannot serve God in money. And so that right there should be enough to say, you know, Lord, turn my eyes away from those other masters. I want to serve you and you only. And trust that what he is saying is for your good always. When Jesus came and walked among us in John um, 10, as he was telling us that he was the good shepherd, he said that he came that we might have life and have it abundantly. And first and foremost, he came to die and... um, for our sins as a perfect sacrifice so that we could live eternally with him. So if he had done that and that only, that would have been enough. But I think he also came, and while he was here, he gave us his commands. And I think that's part of our abundant life now. He truly is the good shepherd, and his commands are for our good always to guide our paths in this often confusing and chaotic life that we live. Um, And we can't forget that later in Matthew, he says that, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do we trust that about his commands? (laughs) Good. Again, in 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. So Jesus is not asking us to come to him so that he can be this harsh taskmaster and tell us what to do. Nope. His commands are for your good always so that you can find rest in his ways and not your own. He wants you to trust him in that. So it's easy to see... You know, I, I've told you that there's literally hundreds of commands 
um, from Jesus in the New Testament that we can find um, and think, I could never follow all of those. How am I supposed to change my pie chart? You know, how am I supposed to have more heavenly treasures being stored up as opposed to earthly? Um, and, you know, he knew that we would say that we felt like it's impossible. He knew that we would say that. Um, so in closing, I want you to turn with me to Mark chapter 10. And I like the book of Mark for so many reasons. Um, he is very to the point with his writing, um, and his, his gospel is the shortest of all four. It only has 16 chapters. Um, but even in his seemingly brief and to the point style, he doesn't miss a thing. Um, and so Mark and Matthew both record this interaction of Jesus with um, the rich young ruler. But Mark adds a short two-word phrase that I think is everything. So see if you can pick it out. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, and I'm going to read 17 to 27. So as he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but with God, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. So look at verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. That's that two word phrase. And said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Jesus loved this rich young ruler. And he proceeded to give him a command that would lead to an abundant life. An abundant life that this rich young ruler had no idea existed. He's like, an abundant life without all my stuff? He had no idea. So unfortunately, you know, it looks like, at least from here, that the rich young ruler chose to continue to store up and cling to those earthly treasures instead of storing up treasure in heaven. Jesus' commands to us are coming from a place of great love. His commands are for your good always, and I just want you to trust that. Um, I can look at you like Jesus looked at the rich young ruler, and I can love you, but I can't tell you where you lack. That's between you and God. You know, that's, that's where your prayer becomes, Lord, I want to store up treasure in heaven where moth can't destroy and thief can't steal. I want to do that. Lord, show me how. 
just, you know, I know that God will show you, but just don't be surprised when you hear the answer and don't be like the rich young ruler and walk away sorrowful. Don't do that. So this morning, it was, what I wanted to share with you was just less about specifically what it looks like to store up treasure in heaven. And I wanted you to see more God's heart behind his commands for you. His commands are for your good always. Um, and I just want you to see that his commands, especially here in the Sermon on the Mount, that's, that's an invitation for you to trust him and his ways above your own. And, you know, remember what Jesus told Mark. So with man, it's impossible, but not with God. With God, anything is possible. And he will make a way for you to honor him with your possessions or by selling your possessions or whatever that looks like for you. So that's your homework for this week. Go home and pray about what you've been learning over the past few months and all of the commands that we've been hearing, the commands that you've heard today to not store up treasure on earth. And, and ask God to show you what that looks like for you in your life. So now that you know his commands are for your good always, ask him to show you how you can follow those commands in your daily life. And he will be faithful to show you. And you will have the power by his Holy Spirit living within you to obey those commands and obey them with joy. And I promise you that you'll find rest for your soul as you seek to honor him in your ways and um, really just to seek to follow his commands and hear them with a new heart that says, okay, I know these are for my good. It seems kind of hard, but I'm going to trust you in this. So that's what our prayer needs to become. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for your commands. We know that they are life-giving and they are for our good always. Help us to know your commands and to seek obedience to your word joyfully and completely. Um, and for those here that have um, had not a good experience in the past with your commands, I pray, Lord, that you would please show them your heart. Please show them your way and the path to peace in their lives. Your ways are above our own and your ways are good and right. We thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Valley Church. If you were impacted by today's teaching or made a decision to follow Jesus, we would love to hear from you, pray for you, and walk with you. To connect with us, visit valleychurchwv.com. There you will find resources on following Jesus and information about how to partner with us here at Valley Church as we seek, serve, and send disciples of Christ.